Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. Super excited to be kicking it with you all in here today. Welcome, my friends. Slide into the booth. Makes a little squeaky sound. It's kind of awkward, right? I like it, friends. Let's start awkward. <laughs> uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming in and kicking with me. We got a dope man coming on right now, uh, Taylor Rochester, uh, which is just like a cute way to say Rochester, you know, but it's actually his name is Rochester. Um, but, uh, but I'm super pumped to have him come in and get to introduce you to him. But friends, before we do that, as always, we're trying to build a community right now. I don't know if you follow Diner Talks with James on Instagram, but it'd be cool. I post pictures from favorite diners that I've been to, different meetings. Meals, ask you all questions and welcome you all to ask questions to me as well. So check out Giner Talks with James. Giner Talks with James. Uh, <laughs> check out Diner Talks with James over there on Instagram and let's connect over there, friends. All right, y'all, let's jump in. Let's jump in. My guest today, Taylor Rochester, professional basketball player. He's a he's a hooper, y'all. I'm telling you, my guy is my guy is buckets out here, right? Y'all don't y'all don't even know, okay? Popping trays, driving the middle, got you with the old bait and switch. You know what I'm saying? My man is out here, AI crossovering you right now. I'm saying uh, he's just a great man. On top of that, and I've had the pleasure of getting to know him over the last couple of years, and it's just been super awesome to follow his journey. And I'm grateful that he has been brought into my life. Shout out to social media for doing that. Um, But he has been living in over 12 countries. And he also, he decided, you know what, being a professional athlete is boring. So I'm also going to write a book while being a professional athlete. That book dropped this year, debuted at number two on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list casual. It's called A New 2020 Vision, and it is awesome. I got a copy on the shelf, and I'm super excited for you all to meet my guy, Taylor Rochester. Let's bring him out right now. What's going on, Taylor? James, how you doing, man? I'm excited to be here. My guy, excited to have you, dude. Pumped. Uh, pumped. We're, we're exchanging platforms. We got to do an Instagram live with your people. Now you're hanging out with mine. Uh, and, and you know, that's the way we build communities, man. Just and here are my friends. Here are your friends. Y'all like each other? Cool. <laughs> I love it. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's Giner Talks or if it's Diner Talks, but I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> Jagger Sharks with James. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love Taylor, it. Taylor, here's how we normally kick this off, is that I, as you would imagine by the name of, of the show, whatever the name is, uh, love a late night meal with friends. And so I'm wondering, do you have a late night craving? Do you have a late night meal? Like when you're in the States, is there a late night meal? Like, oh, shoot, I got to go hit up this taco truck, right? I know you're, I know you're a Cali boy. Um, and, or is that your late or late night in and out runs? I don't care how long the drive through line is. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm curious, is there something that you love to eat when you're back here in the States late night? Mm, I would say growing up, it was uh, Jack in the Box. They had two tacos for 99 cents. That was a pretty late night, a late night meal. Um, I used to be a late night guy. I mean, before kids and, uh, before getting married, I was up to like 3 AM every night and, um, I was living overseas. Like you talked about playing ball. And, uh, that was my, that was my dig. 
But then as I got married, I started sleeping a little bit earlier. As I had kids, I started sleeping a lot earlier. So my night, my late night snacks like 10 p.m. when it used to be 2 a.m. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I got the I got the honor to have a late night snack with my my two and a half year old daughter a couple nights ago, and I reached into the freezer and grabbed a couple egos. So uh, she and I shared that as a late night snack, and it was amazing. So that would be my my most recent one. Wow. Shout out to Ego Waffles. That actually is a good time to bring up one of our sponsors. Ego Waffles. Uh, <laughs> don't go to the diner. Just eat Ego Waffles. No. Um, <laughs> uh, I love that, man. A late night Ego is a move. That's a, that's a move. I know some people that take their Ego Waffles and they make like full-blown sandwiches with them. And I respect those people. So, so let's just say that you have your own diner yeah. and you're only serving late night food. What's on your menu? What's up? I mean, you got to have a classic grilled cheese. All right. Got a late night grilled cheese with a little ham on there. Uh, ideal your bacon. It's classic. Maybe tomato. Uh, if you're getting fancy, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, I'm also I'm a late night breakfast kind of person. Like I love a late mm-hmm. night stack of pancakes, some challah bread, French toast and uh, and and those kinds of things. Those are those are my typical diner moves. I've also been known to be that person at the table who gets a tuna melt and then everybody else regrets that I got a tuna melt. <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Everybody makes their own bed. <laughs> yeah, when, when I when I think of late night food, I think of going in, getting in, getting out quick. And my wife is French. I met her in France, and she loves to cook, and she's a great cook. So her idea of late night food is going in and bringing out some pots and pans and whipping up something amazing. And I've already eaten my food by the time she gets the butter on the pans. I'm just like, I don't really know what to do at this point. Do I wait? Do I go back to bed? Do I go to bed, get yeah. a nap, come back in and eat the second <laughs> late night food? So we've got everything going on over here. What's what's the appropriate move right now, and how do I not be insulting to an international culture at the same time? Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Now, I mean, you have been uh, like like I said, you've lived in at least eleven countries. Now, you've been to many more. Um, I'm wondering, as a late night food enthusiast, you mentioned like you know when you were younger playing ball and first started out, staying up till three a.m. Were there any late night meals that you had in some other countries that you were like, yo, why isn't this in the States? Um, or were you always yearning that Jack in the box to taco for 99 cents? <laughs> uh, I, I think I prefer that European lifestyle when it comes to food. Um, with kids, I like the American lifestyle because everything's early. You go get it done, you get in bed and then it's all good. But overseas, I mean, we put the kids to bed and then we start thinking about dinner. And so I would think the late night food over there is just uh, family cooking. So if I'm at my wife's house, we have a place now in France where we just start cooking about eight, nine o'clock. And if you bring people over, they come over around six and then, you know, you start eating a meal around midnight. And that's just kind of the style in in Europe. (laughs) And I like that because you spend so much time preparing the food, eating the food, trying to learn French for me, which is terrible and uh, just enjoying being lost in translation. So I prefer that style. I never get those American cravings, especially when it comes to, like uh, fast food type stuff, but I do miss other American styles of food for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's beautiful. I mean, there's such an emphasis in, uh, in other cultures on community. And, and I say other cultures by, 
really outside of like traditional white American families, right? Because even in black yeah. culture here, there's a big emphasis on community, right? Latino culture in America, big emphasis on community, right? And even, even uh, like immigrant culture, right? Like the, like the, you know, the stereotype of my big fat Greek wedding, most Greek people that I've met are like, mm, it's actually like that. Um, right. Yeah. And so and yeah. there, uh, and so that idea of like, you're going to come over and spend time, right? My, my father-in-law mm. is, is a, is a man who I, I really enjoy. I like the man. Um, but like, as soon as seven o'clock hits, he's looking at his watch and he's like, yeah, we <laughs> ate at six. And like, I don't know, I got other things go. to do. I got places <laughs> to be. And I'm like, you know, I'm a giant extrovert who is refusing to not be around people. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, we were all friends. And so, yeah, that's, that's a struggle. So I think I also would mesh well uh, in that, in that style of, in that style of, uh, of life and culture. So when my, when my wife first came over to mix the culture class, my wife first came over, I said, hey, my best friend's getting married and she couldn't be more excited. First and foremost, I woke up that morning in the police station, but that's something I'm not going to talk about. But the, the, se <laughs> the second thing is I had a speech to give. I was very excited. We were getting ready for the wedding. She's getting all dressed up. She's excited. She's going to come over with my dad, who's also really close to my best friend. We show up at the wedding. I give my speech. The wedding just starts getting going. The dancing starts to get going. And my wife's like, okay, let's have some drinks. Let's enjoy our time. And then they just kind of turn the lights on and it was time to go. It's like 10, 1030. And she was just getting started. I mean, at our <laughs> wedding, our wedding was in France. Uh, I think the meal was brought at midnight and then the music went off at like 5 a.m. And that's when somebody drove in a truck turned on the radio and we just kept dancing from about 5 a.m. on. And so it is a huge <laughs> difference in the culture class for sure. <laughs> that is incredible. That's incredible. Now here's the thing, right? As someone who who lives here in the States, it's always so it's always so fascinating. Like as soon as you hear someone say, well, like, you know, my wife in France and our house in France, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay, boo, 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 boo. Yes, of course, Mr. Fancy Pants over here. Um, yeah. Right. But it's it's funny because that's just that's just your life, right? It's not like you were like, I'm some bougie dude. I'm going to go uh, get a chateau in France. And like, you know what I mean? It's not, it, it's, it's cool because it's just, it's just your life. You have, you have chosen this path and, and, and I yeah. want to, I want to get to some of that, but I want to, let's take us all the way back first. Now, uh, right. Like you're, you're a professional baller, hooper, whatever you call yourself. Um, but uh, when did, when did your journey with basketball start? I, I've known I want to play professional basketball since I was five years old, even if I didn't know. I mean, it was just part of who I was. I just love sports. I had a, a brother that's two and a half years older than me. He loves sports. I just wanted to be like him. He was my, mentor, my older brother, my best friend, the person I looked up to the most. Um, so I just wanted to be like him. So if he's playing this sport, I'm playing this sport. He started getting into basketball. I got into basketball and I had just a burning passion. I think it's hard to understand a lot of kids because parents are now pushing them like, hey, what do we do now? How does it become better? How does it become better? Well, he has to have a little bit of the drive already there inside. When he comes home from school, he, he's got to want to go shoot baskets instead of do something else. And that was me growing up. I just always wanted to play basketball. I always wanted to play soccer. I always wanted to be involved and play with older kids, play with my brother and his friends. And my brother's unlike anybody else. And he wanted me to be involved. And I had to push myself to get better so I wouldn't just be the younger brother that wants to tag along, that I could be as good as those guys and hang with those guys. And then my brother would start picking me before some of his friends because he knew that I was capable of playing at his level. So since I was about five years old and then I was about, I don't know, 10 or 12, and I started talking about playing professionally overseas. I didn't even know they had leagues overseas. I just knew I wanted to travel, and I wanted to play basketball, and that's what I was going to do. And I kind of 
thought about it, put into words, put into action, and that just became the reality. It's pretty cool. Wow, that's amazing. So so the NBA wasn't necessarily the dream from the jump. Like you were like, yo, I'm excited to play ball overseas and I'm going to be able to mix both of my passions and, and get it done. I think, I don't know if I watched the Olympics. I really get, this is the first time I've actually thought about it. I don't know if yeah. it's from watching Olympics or watching something. But when I was in the backyard, I remember saying, I remember pretending I was on like the USA basketball team. And I would be like, okay, France number one passes to France number two. He passes to France number three. And I was playing international style basketball in my head against myself in the backyard. I wasn't saying I'm playing for Los Angeles Lakers. You know, here I am at three foot two entering the court, you know, from <laughs> Santa Barbara, California, you know? And so yeah. I just, I don't know what that was. I don't know where that really came from, but of course the NBA is a dream. Of course you go see NBA games. If a contract was laid out in front of me for one of these $160 million max contracts, I'm not going to say, you know, I think Europe's for me. Um, I'll probably accept that. So I don't think, uh, I don't think I was <laughs> anti NBA. I just kind of had this passion for traveling and passion for new things and new cultures. And it worked out. Wow, that's awesome, man! I love that. You know, a lot of the a lot of the folks that I know that play ball over in Europe, uh, it is like you know maybe they played at a a D two school, right, or or a D one, but not a you know not a, a whatever conference, major conference school, and it was just kind of like, hey, this was my opportunity to keep playing the sport that I love, and there's literally nothing wrong with that. That's incredible. I'm sure you've met hundreds of players like that, yeah. um, but uh, to hear that. It's just such a cool, different take. And, and I love that. I think that's so, that's awesome. And most people don't think that they can combine passions and do it and figure it mm. out, right? It's like, oh, I got to pick, I got to pick one thing and then the other thing will be a hobby or I got to, right? Like, and I think that's, that's just cool that you're like, no, this is what I want to do. You know, I remember when I got a, a straight out of grad school, I was looking for a job and I was working in higher education. And I said, I only want a job in one of these three major cities because those were the three best cities in the country with stand-up comedy scenes at the time. And I said, I want to, uh, I was working in residence life. And so I was going to, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go live for free in a major city because they'll put me up in the residence hall that I'm helping run. So I'll live for free and I'll get to work on my comedy dreams at the same time. And so it's going to be a win-win. Right. But it was like, that was how I chose where I was going to try to look for jobs and stuff like that was because I wanted to, I didn't want to choose between those two things. It was like, I think I can have both. And so let's try to figure it out. And so I think it's cool that you did something apparently unknowingly a little bit (laughs) uh, that way too. Now, where did you play? Where'd you play college ball? Well, I I think first, I think we were both looking looking at the journey and not the outcome, right? So like you wanted to go to someplace and you didn't want to get this job that you were thinking about for 10 years down the road. Or, yeah. you, you know, you wanted to be part of that scene. You want to be part of that comedy scene. You wanted to get involved in the culture and then just enjoy that year, you know, wherever it was going to be. And I think that a lot of people have that NBA dream and they're going to do it by any means necessary. And they play in the, the D League or the G League or and, and that's a great thing. And then they keep pushing for that and they forget about the excitement of this journey of playing in Europe. And so when I went out there, I was lucky because my first year out there was really fun. I had a great team. And I just fell in love with the journey. And I wasn't just focused on trying to get back to the NBA, trying to get back to the NBA and trying to have that as my dream. And that's a lot of players do that. And when they focus on that NBA or they focus on that other dream that they might have, they forget about the dream they're already living. So my dream was playing mm. professional basketball. And I'm over there playing professional basketball. And I got to understand that that's a dream instead of just saying, hey, I'm almost at my dream. And so I miss out on so much stuff. And then 
the players that went over there that are really talented that focus on the NBA, they kind of don't have a good career. If they go out there and just focus on the process of playing in Europe, they actually probably going to get picked up back to go to the NBA because they're enjoying it. They're playing great and they're looking great. And then the NBA picks them back up and brings them back over. Yeah. They forgot about the dream that they're currently living. Uh, that's that's beautiful, man. Uh, that and that's something that that's a pill I need to swallow in general in a lot of places in my life. Mm. Um, right, like I think I am someone who is in constant search of what's next, what's the more, what's the and, what's the right. And I think I'm not I'm not the only person like that. I know that, but and right, you just told me about some of your peers that do that. But there are moments that I fear that I'm missing it as in mm. like missing what's happening right now, like being grateful for the right now. Uh, and, and it's, I'm grateful. Like, you know, when I, whenever I'm able to travel internationally, I know I'm grateful for my wife, Tina, because she's the person that's like, Hey James, I know you want to do all these things. So yeah, there would be a couple of, of, of times where, where Tina would just be like, listen, one or two days, you know, every week, every other week, I just want to stay in our small town. I just want to like walk around and just be here and appreciate this. Like, yes, we could drive over to the Leaning Tower PC. Yes, we can go over here. Yes, we can go there. Yes, we can go. Like, there's so many things. It's Italy, but like, I also just need to chill and like, let's just soak up the moment that we have right here in our, this isn't just a jump off place. This is also a place where community and stories can happen. And I really appreciated that about her. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think, and so it's cool to hear uh, what you're talking about as far as that idea of like, you know, don't, don't miss the moment that you're currently in. It's powerful, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then you get humbled too, by kids because you want to do all those things and your, your wife will be right when it's just like, we can't do all those things. We got to pack the bag one time, get out of the house one time. We got to go there and the kids are going to be tired. They need a nap. So you're going to, they're going to have to slow you down and you got to live more in the moment and realize, okay, what can we do right now? What do we need to do right now? What are the, what are some fun things we can go experience together and just, just slow it down and live in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was that something that you were always good at of like being in the moment? Or is that something that like your wife taught you international culture taught you that uh, your kids taught you? Is that something, or is that something you've always been like, no, nah, I've actually always been pretty good at being in the moment and really enjoying where I am and what's happening. I think I've always kind of had that. I remember in high school, everybody was talking about, they can't wait to go to college. Man, I can't go wait to go to college either, but I was just like, I don't want to leave high school yet. And then in people in college are like, you know, I'm excited about going out and getting a job and going to do this. And I want to move here and I want to do this for work. And I don't really want to go to class anymore or something like that. I was like, man, college is great. I don't want to, I want to leave college. And so I started developing this idea that we're living for this 5% of our life, this pinnacle 5%, right? And so these promotions or these graduations or these, whatever it might be. And so if you're thinking about this 5% and you're talking about this 5% and you're really alive during this 5%, that means you're only really living in 5%, 5% of your life. And so the other 95% is just like almost not wasted, but it's just like spent worrying about, you know, thinking about this 5%. So I started getting that idea is like, are we really only living 5% of our life? We're already sleeping long enough. So I was like, what am I doing with my time? You know, I want to be proactive. I want to be doing all these things, but I'd rather focus on the 95%. It's the only way that I can think of that adds time to your life. So when you're a little older, you're looking back, it's like you have a lot more memories, a lot more happiness because that journey is the 95% and not the five. Mm. 
I'm letting that hit me right now, brother, because I need to, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. You know, I'm, I'm normally the one serving the medicine out here, brother. So I don't really appreciate this either. You should know that Taylor. Um, but, (laughs) but I mean, you really just said something that powerful that we as humans are more focused on the 5% of our life, the what's next or the what could be or what should be or those kinds of things as opposed to taking advantage of the moment right now. That's beautiful. I, I like that. I agree to it. I don't subscribe to it currently, but I'm interested in getting there, uh, right? I mean, let me name where I am right now. And it is, I guess it's interesting because you are also a professional athlete. And when you think about professional athletes, you think about drive. You think about like the hustle. You think about the, you know, three a days. You think about the the coach that's over your ear telling you're not going to be good enough rock, right? Like, and you think about like some of those moments where it's like there is a hustle and an intense focus to being a professional athlete. And that is often truly with blinders on, right? Like this is the goal. I will achieve the goal. I feel like that is in juxtaposition to what you just shared of also being in the moment. So I'd be curious to hear, like, how do you balance the intense drive of being a professional athlete? Or maybe like, actually, James, I was just really naturally gifted, but, um, but, you know, like, but like, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, do you see what I'm talking about? Can you see how For those sure. two are kind of often maybe For are sure. in contrast to each other? I think the biggest thing is progress over perfection, right? So like when you're a kid, you're 10 years old, you can't play in the NBA. Okay, so obviously there's a process that you have to go through to get there. And most kids are, are worried about perfection. So I was in, I was in China uh, and I was playing professionally over there and I saw this kid working on a dribbling drill. I felt inspired to go over there and talk to him. And he was dribbling the ball and he had his head down. And I was like, hey man, when you're dribbling this ball doing this workout, why don't you keep your head up? And then he, he's like, okay, okay. And he, and he looked back down and started doing the dribbling again. And I was like, hey man, you gotta keep your head up because you know when you're playing basketball, you gotta keep your head up. And then he just kept looking down and I, I brought my translator over. I was like, maybe he doesn't understand what I'm saying. And he said, no, he understands what you're saying, but if he keeps his head up, then he can't do the drill perfectly. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, just tell me one NBA player that you know that has a perfect game or doesn't make mistakes or, you know, all that kind of stuff. You need to work about work on the progress. And so while you're, while you're doing it, you should be making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're not pushing yourself. And so, you kind of see that goal that you want to get to, but there's a, you have to work to get to that goal. You, you, you have to have that drive from inside, like we talked about earlier. Um, but you have to understand that it is a process. You're, you're not going to, you're not, you're not going to be LeBron James tomorrow. So you have to, you have to work. My mom always tells me a funny story that um, I'd be playing in youth basketball and there'd be parents that say, you know, all the kids deserve to have the ball. All the kids deserve to take the shots. All the kids deserve to play the same amount of minutes. And, and one mom was really upset about it and says, you know, I think that your son, you know, shouldn't have the ball all the time. And we were really young. And my mom just kind of let it brush off her shoulder. And then they talked after the game. And she was like, is your son in the backyard for three and a half hours when he gets home from school every single day shooting baskets and perfecting his shot? And it's like there's a reason that the kids are passing him the ball. Like he has this drive. He, he This is his passion. This is what's going on. And not that I believe in uh, one player shooting all the shots or that everybody don't, doesn't deserve a chance, but it was a unique idea that uh, I, I'm taking this a little different than other people are taking this. This is, this is a passion. This is a drive for me. And I've been, I've been working on it every day. Um, and so you just have to focus on that progress. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. I think that it is uh, it's interesting to think about the, 
the focus on the progress is you have to, I mean, if, if you have a goal in mind, you also have to be in love with the journey to the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. My buddy Douglas Wydick said that on, on a previous episode. And I really appreciated that because that's something where it's like, I can always myself, I'm, I'm a futurist, right? Like I can see the goal. I can tell you what it tastes like, right? I can picture, I already know what I'm wearing that day. Right. But I don't necessarily know what I'm wearing at day 32 or day 165 or day 200 and whatever. Right. Like, um, and, and those are the days that I, I know I personally also need to fall in love with right? It's a journey. Like for example, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to start writing a book proposal for my second book and I'm really excited about it, awesome. but I already can tell you what the cover is going to look like. I can already tell you, right? Like I already have marketing ideas for the launch. I'm like, bro, you gotta, you gotta put your fingers on the keys first, my guy, right? Like this isn't it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta put a proposal together. You gotta meet a literary agent. You don't even, you can't even spell literary. Um, right. And so, and, and, and so that's a big thing for me. And I think other people are like that too, where it's like, they can see the dream so clearly, but they don't, they, they refuse to, visualize the steps needed to get there and therefore they beat themselves up because they think they'll never get there but it's because they think for some reason like you said it's i'm going to start dribbling and i'm gonna be lebron james tomorrow that's not there's all these steps in the middle and and so i I really respect what you said it's and i'm curious for you man you know while you were putting in that work when was the point where you recognized yo i'm i'm pretty good at this like was that was that high school? Was that middle school? Was that five year old when you were deeing up your brother and and grabbing those steals? Like when like when was the point where you're like, oh, I'm I'm good at this on a on a different level on a different plane? This is a very humbling question. I've asked this question to other people, and they'll be like, it's when I started. You know, I was in seventh eighth grade, and I started three sixty dunking and things like that. That's not really that's not really my path. And so I just kept. It, it really is about the process with me because. On my AEU team as a kid, I wasn't the best player. On my mm-hmm. high school team, I ne- wasn't necessarily the best player and maybe till my last year. On my college team, I wasn't the best player until potentially my last year. And even then we had other good players on the team. Um, I was never highly recruited, so I just kept having to work had a vision. I wanted to play Division One. I. I wasn't offered a Division One scholarship until the end of my senior year of high school, which is very rare. And most people, now they're signing when they're in third grade. Right. Um, it's crazy. So it is crazy. <laughs> I just kept having to work because I had an, I had a goal in mind and nothing was going to get in the way of that goal. And there, there was these, I don't know if you saw these, you go into your, um, your counselor's offices and they'd have these sports pieces of paper on the wall that says the, the, the percentage of people making it in sports. And it used to drive me yeah. nuts to be like, okay, high school kids, there's X amount of high school kids and there's X amount of D1 scholarships. And then from those D1 scholarships, there's X amount of people that play pro. And it was like, it's just not going to happen. And so I could subscribe to that or I could subscribe to something else. And it's a metaphor for everything. It's like, am I going to let the world tell me who I am or am I going to define myself and define each moment? And so that progress is everything. And then you set goals. The biggest thing for me is goals over expectations. So I didn't Mm -hmm. expect to be an NBA player or a professional basketball player. If I expect that, then I have anxiety and I'm not, and I'm just focused on the outcome. And just like, if I don't get it, then my world's just not going to make sense. I just had goals and that's the process. And I was like, okay, my first goal is I want to play varsity basketball. The second goal is I want a D1 scholarship. How can I get there? Even if I had to go through a junior college or something, I'm going to get there. And then once I'm there, I'm going to prove myself. I was thinking about walking on in college 
And in my head, there wasn't anything about, okay, I'm going to be a walk-on. It was like, all I have to do is walk on one year and they're going to see that I'm better than everybody. And then I'll just get a scholarship. It'll just be easy <laughs> just because that was, that was my mindset. And it's just yeah. like, if I'm going to be my own first hurdle, then that's a big first hurdle to get over. So I'm going to get out of my own way and just set my, set my goals high. And if I don't achieve them, I can set new goals. There's no expectations. Yeah. I said goals, not expectations. That is uh, that that's rich right there, man. That's rich right there. And I think listening to the way that you talk about it and the way you navigated each of those times, right? Like Woj wasn't featuring you on sports center, uh, right. And, and your, your junior year, uh, because you're playing it, you know, such and such prep in New Jersey. Right. And, and like, you know, those, those some of those iconic, uh, high school basketball programs. Right. And it is, uh, what a different what a different path than you typically hear than Sports Center typically shows us, right? To get oh, to where you got. Yeah, for sure. And I was born to play in Europe because uh, with the name like Rochester, you know, there's there's no respect. Even you know, I'd have a great game in college, and they're they're mispronouncing my name here in America. So imagine what they do once <laughs> once I go overseas. I've heard my name pronounced all sorts of ways, and I came into uh, Poly Pavilion in UCLA and had thirty points, and I went to Oregon and had something like 33 points or something like that. And, you know, was had an amazing game. And then after the game, coaches and analysts are all mispronouncing my name, don't know anything about me. And that, that's just part of the, that's just part of the process. That's what makes it fun. That's what adds the chip to your shoulder. And that's the reason why I've had success, especially playing overseas for 12 years. It's not, it's not easy. You have to have a drive and you have to have a constant motor that's going because there are so many kids, so many players, so many athletes that want the job that I have. And I can yeah. be focused on the job that I don't have or focus on the job that I have that thousands of other players want. Yeah. And my buddy Antonio likes to say somebody's sick day is your first day. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, right? like, so you're, you're sick day on the court and all of a sudden so-and-so gets called up from the bench. Like, Oh shoot, hang on. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. you got to Yeah. You got to stay tenacious out there. So sure. this idea of this idea of being in love with the journey and not the, and not the result. And so yeah, there's this ruling comedy called, if that's true, then what else is true? Mm. And it's a way of kind of like building into the funny. Right. And so for example, uh, if there is a, a beer in the fish tank, what else is true in this room or what else is true for what happened that night? Right. Like that idea, right. like you start to build out the world. And so, um, so with you, if it is true that the journey is more important than the destination, I'm curious to apply that to other points in your life. I'm a new father, for example. Mm. And, and ultimately like the destination quote unquote for our children could be like, Oh, they're a great kid. Right. Or they are, they are successful or they are happy or they are, uh, they, mm. you know, and then some people really start to specify it, right? Like, well, my kid's going to be a blank. Um, or my kid's going to go to this institution and have this kind of like those kinds of things, right? The expectations yeah. that parents set for their children, not necessarily goals to use your word. Right. And so for you as a parent, remind us how, how old are your children and yeah. how is that, how have you applied that concept to being a father? Because I know right now as a new father, I'm in my head a lot and I, I know that's not abnormal, but I'm curious to hear that kind of your perspective on that. My daughter, Joy, is uh, two and a half. Her birthday is in October. Uh, my son will turn one June 18th. Um, so I got two young ones. And, and for me, it's, I keep reminding myself that if you take a picture of them or if you watch them doing something, I keep reminding myself that this is what I'm going to miss when they're older. 
So during the craziness, I'm like, I'm going to miss this when they're older. So I better live it now. So when I see these pictures, I'm just like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of how cute and fun they were when they were this age. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, my kids were pretty tough and they are pretty tough as far as not sleeping through the nights. And my daughter just got surgery a couple days ago and she's got a fever and we're not sleeping. It's hard to keep perspective when she's pounding your head at, you know, it's four in the morning and I was sleeping on the couch at one thirty because I was trying to make sure he's sleeping so she can get some sleep. I mean, that's just, that's just part of it. And I read this cool article that talked about that you only really raise your kids full time for the first four years. And then it really becomes a part-time already because they're off to school. They might be having their friends. They might be doing extracurricular activities and you have this special moment for the first four years. And when you're in it, it feels like an eternity. It's a special moment to, to build, be there for them and build this foundation. And even if they're not gonna remember some of this, it's gonna, it's gonna really be part of who they are. And then for the people that are working full time, they're missing their kids. For the people that are with their kids all the time, they might be missing work. Everybody's like looking at the grass is greener or something like that. And yeah. I'm just looking at this and you're seeing them getting bigger. And I don't wanna miss, I don't wanna miss a minute because it does happen really fast. And I don't think that I'm 35 years old and I still feel 21, but the fact is I'm 35 and soon they're gonna be older and. What does that say? I'm, I, I, I don't want to miss a moment for sure. Yeah. You live with a beautiful version of optimism <laughs> of like, right. And it, it's really cool. It, it's, 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 it's honestly inspiring to hear and, and, and to be in the presence of, and it's funny because I am at the beginning of that journey of being a parent, right? Like we are three and a half months in mm. what the hell is exactly happening right now. Right. We're this? trying, what, what is, is this? this? Yeah. This is a, this is a football that requires a lot of attention. Um, <laughs> right. Like, and, and so don't get me wrong. He's a cute dude. He's a cute football, good looking football yeah. uh, and laces out. But uh, the thing is, is that little still, <laughs> it is, uh, it, it is a mental game, right? And when you're raising, especially a super young child that really can't do anything, right? Can't communicate, like he's like barely grabbing things at this point. And, and so like truly helpless, not helpless, excuse me. And it is fascinating to, to, to try to capture those moments of like, oh, this moment matters, right? The fact that you grabbed this thing is a milestone, right? Like it's so fascinating to put it in perspective that you are watching someone learn the world, learn what things feel like, uh, you know, not taste like they're drinking the same thing. Um, but right, like, and so like, but at the same time, there isn't this reward that you get back. Right. Like when someone laughs at your joke, when someone uh, gives you like you can feel the pressure when you hug them, yeah. that they hug you back. Right. Like those yeah. those kinds of moments, the tugs, the those kinds of things. Right. In the beginning, it is it has been hard. And, and I'll probably get some flack for saying this, but it's the truth in my truth, I should say, that it is sometimes hard to be in the moment and be like, this is really beautiful. Right. Mm. That's something that I know I'm struggling with in early fatherhood. And yeah. uh, and yeah. and I know that there's a whole bunch of science out there that says it can take parents up to a few years to really fall in love with their children if they ever do. Um, yeah. And uh, and so and so it's 
it's amazing to hear your optimism. I need to hear your optimism. And I'm wondering, like, was that like from the jump? Like as soon as, you know, as soon as your firstborn was out, are you like, this is the greatest thing? <laughs> or were you like, holy shit, this is hard, right? Like, you know, what, yeah. what was that balance for you? Uh, I think the first thing, the first thing is one thing you can focus on is I, I like to talk about that. We all have different hats, right? And especially mm -hmm. at the young age, it's really difficult for the dad because the kid's like, I don't even need you. You're just kind of part-time here and you can, <laughs> you can help out, but I don't really need you at this point. And mom kind of provided me with everything that I need. Thanks anyway. I'll see you later. Um, but we all have these hats. Like I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm a whatever. So there's going to be moments that are very special with the baby. And so I'm going to make sure to be there as much as I can to capture those moments. But there's going to be some moments where the baby doesn't need me. The baby's sleeping, that there's something else going on where I'm still trying to find what's, what's the purpose here? Am I enjoying this? And then those are the moments that I can focus on the other hats where I can try to be a good husband. I can try to be a good friend to someone else. I can try to motivate somebody else that has a kid. I can talk to some other people, connect with other people because it's fun being a young parent. And every time you see someone else with a stroller, you kind of give that nod, like, yeah, you know, I know, what you, I know together. what's going on. And, hey, <laughs> uh, is, is that a yo-yo? Is that a Nuna? Is that a, you know, and then you start understanding this lingo that you never thought you would know before. And so I think that's the thing. You just have to capture the moments that you capture and realize that nobody has a, nobody has a formula. Every baby's different. Um, but for me, I always thought I was going to have a son first. I've always yeah. wanted both a son and a daughter, but I thought I'd have a son first. When we found out it was a girl, it took me a second to get used to that idea. I was so excited to be a girl dad. I keep hearing from all these dads, like, you have your daughter, it's just going to be this amazing thing and this connection. And you're like, yeah, that's what, that's what people say that don't have sons. And so <laughs> as soon as it got closer, I started just having this big vibe. That I was excited to have a daughter. My wife is a lot more attractive than I am. So I was excited for someone to look more like my wife and look more like me. So that was, that was my main focus. And so I was just excited for everything. And then so when my daughter came, we were living in China and we were overwhelmed with everything. And we didn't have an idea of normal childbirth where you might give birth, you bring the baby home, you got your family there, everybody's there to help, everybody's there to, so we're just in, are we doing this right? Are we doing this right? What's going on? And we were just so focused on that. She was having trouble breathing. We didn't even have a chance to think about how good we're doing. We just had a chance to think about, okay, what do we have to do here? What do we have to do? And I had to enjoy every moment. And the, the reality that I had, the perspective that I had was I was playing pro basketball. So I would leave for three days and I would come back and she would be completely different. She would be looking at me in a different way. She'd be moving in a different way, sleeping in a different way. So it was amazing for me that I got to have that perspective. I didn't like it because I didn't like leaving, but I got to see firsthand that, wow, this is changing really quick. I have to be present when I'm here. I have to be engaged. I have to be intentional with my time or else I'm just going to miss out. And so that was lucky for me. And at the same time, like I said, I hated leaving. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, those first few, however many months, years or whatever it was, was almost like stop motion for you. It was like, uh, 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 right. Like, it's like, you just like saw the jumping, the jumping yeah. ahead. Yeah. But I always, I always wanted to be a dad. I mean, I, um, it sounds like, um, cookie cutter, but I always wanted to be a dad. So I was really excited. I have amazing parents and I was just, I was sure I was going to be a good dad just cause I was, I wanted to be like my dad and 
um, and, you know, bring all the best from my dad and my mom. And so mm-hmm. I've always wanted to have a kid and, um, and then now having both a daughter and a son, it's really great. And you can see the differences of the two and you can just enjoy, enjoy the moment. But what is crazy is once you go through all the steps with the first one, you're like the second one, doesn't need all those steps. And then you just got to start, <laughs> you got to start all over again. I was just like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, can't you put the food in your mouth? I don't understand. And I'm like, oh yeah, he, that's, that's the next step. And I'm constantly, what was, what was Joy doing when she was this age, man? I was yeah, like, yeah. a different kid. Like they got different stuff going on. So it is crazy how that works. That is, it is crazy, man. It is crazy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your perspective on it. It's also, uh, it, it's also just not a sentence that I hear a lot of like, yeah, we had our first kid in China. Um, yeah. Right. Like that's, that's not, not your, not your average sentence from uh, two white guys from the United States. Yeah. And so the, that experience, I mean, it's crazy because you didn't have, it's not like you're like, well, we have, when we had our first baby at uh, you know, whatever hospital in the United States, right? Like it's, it's not like you had any other experience to compare it to. Sure. You had movies, sure. You had friends and family, but like you're in China and, and Mm -hmm. having this baby, I mean, what were, what were things that stick out to you from that experience of, of, I guess, like, I guess the Chinese culture of it all. Well, first off, we were just so impressed uh, with everything out there when it comes to having a kid. I mean, they're only having a billion kids a day at this point. So I think they, they've, <laughs> they've mastered they've mastered the situation. But part of part of going there is just a huge shout out to my wife and how amazing she is, because uh, when she was pregnant, obviously, we knew we were having a baby. And in the summer, we we're trying to figure out where we're going to go play next year. And when we said, hey, look, we're going to go to China, she looked at me and she said, rock and roll, let's do this. I'll have the baby Crazy. in China which is just amazing. I mean, just like, <laughs> yes. I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. But then when we arrived, they put us in a hotel and this hotel was under construction and the hotel was great. Nothing bad about China. We love China. We're probably going back to China in September. Um, but this hotel at this specific moment, there was a smell in there. There was all this stuff going on with this construction and it was just bad news. And we were, I was trying to get to an apartment and mm-hmm we were just like, we're not ready. There's no way we can bring a baby in here. We did as much as we could. We got some toys, but like, this is not, this is not it. This is not it. <laughs> and so we finally got to this other apartment. It was fantastic. My wife's French, like I mentioned. So there's other French families there. There's other people that speak English. It was a very international apartment. And then we had researched that there was going to be American style, English speaking hospital there. It was like 20, 25 mm-hmm. minutes away. And so um, we were very impressed with everything. I guess the most interesting thing was it got closer and closer to the start of season. And so right before the first game, they were telling me, Hey, the baby's probably coming in the next four to seven days for sure. And I was like, well, I got a game in seven days. The baby needs to come in four days. So like, we need to make that happen. Let me tell you and what's so, about to happen. Yeah. Let me tell you how this baby thing works. And so, um, and everything was great. And I'm sure everybody has the same story. Okay. You know, we're going in on the day and the doctor's not working that day. We're going in on the day and, and this is happening. This is happening. So we were just so excited and overwhelmed. And my, my team is calling me, this is a big difference in culture. My team is calling me and say, Hey, you know, if the baby comes during our first game, we can have somebody from the organization be with your wife during, during the birth. Hmm. I was like, um, I'm definitely going to be there during the birth. (laughs) We're in China. I'm from California. There's not going to be a stand-in dad for this, not, not, not this time. And they're just like, well, it'd be pro- you got to be professional. You got to be at the game. And I'm like, I have my team. My team is here in my apartment 
You know, one of them's in in my wife's belly, but this is my team. You know, like this is you guys are my secondary team, and I respect that. I'm very professional, but this is my team. So that was an interesting moment. That was a culture shock. Um, And then once we had the baby, everything was great. Team was really um, great with me having the kid, and I didn't even realize that I was holding the kid for like three hours. Might be like, I think your car's downstairs. You know, you got to go to your game. And I was like, oh man, you know. So you you no (laughs) no more pregame rituals, no more anything. It's just baby time and off the game. Yeah. Wow, man. What a cool experience. <laughs> what a cool experience. It's story. I mean, the stories you have to have are, uh, are incredible because your, uh, because your, your son was born also in, in another country, not also in China. Where was your son born? My son was born in France during the pandemic. So that, that was a situation in itself. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, firsthand, you know, it's like, are you allowed in the room? Uh, are you wearing masks? Uh, can your family see the kid? Uh, how many doctors yeah. are allowed to be in the room? What's I can't leave the room. You know, wait, the cafe's not open. I've been here for twelve hours straight. What am I going to do here? And so, like, you know, firsthand. I mean, it's it's a different it's a different yes. way of being. And you can't just say, "Hey, we have a kid. We're excited to share that with the world and come over and be with us and support us." It's like, no, we got to still shelter and we got to do our thing. So it's a unique experience for sure. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. The fact that you've lived so many places internationally is really uh, just badass to me. And I know we could probably have done the whole episode. Like we could be like, all right, let's do 10 minutes on this country now. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know we could have gotten there, but to, to try to think about it, I'm, I'm wondering first, I guess this is, it's probably a cliche question, but that's fine. I'm full of them. Uh, <laughs> what, which country surprised you the most and why? Um, you know, um, this sounds so, I don't know how it sounds. So we'll, we'll just, we'll say it. Um, I grew up in the textbooks are like, you know, World War One, World War Two, Cold War. So the way I thought about Germany and the way that I thought about Russia growing yeah. up was different than the way I think about romantic Italy or France or something like that. I spent my first season in Germany. I love Germany. Germany is so beautiful, so green, so incredible. The people there are so great. The people there are speaking English. They're so open and welcoming and all that kind of stuff. And then when I went to Russia, um, a little colder um, than I was used to, but it was fantastic. I loved it. Ended up uh, re-signing with the team in Russia. Had a fantastic season in Russia and just loved the people there and loved my situation and got to see some amazing cities in Russia. I got to ice skate in Red Square during Christmas time with a Christmas market. I mean, I got to experience stuff that... I would have never imagined experiencing. And I think that was the biggest thing. You just have to open your mind and say, hey, these textbooks tell a story. Um, Our news tells a story. The media tells a story. Social media shows certain things. And then when you get there, you're like, hey, I got to figure out what I think about all this and what's really going on. Spend some time. And it's not just traveling to go there for a week. And then you go to the Ritz Carlton or the, you know, whatever you, you want to go to. Cause it's a big, uh, it's a big event. No, you're spending time for 10 months there. You're getting to know the people and you're getting to know the, the holes in the wall, the, the restaurants down in the corner that you didn't even know were there. So I think that's amazing and special. Those places probably surprised me the most just cause I was ignorant just cause I had all these stereotypes of what things might be like. And then once I got out there, I was just blown away by, we're all the same. We're all looking for a lot of the same things. Um, a lot of these cultures are different in different ways, but we have a lot of similarities as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's beautiful, man. It is interesting, especially when you think, I think Russia is a great example of, you know, what are Russian people being taught about the United States? What is the mm. U.S. taught about Russian? Same yeah. same with China, same with uh, Iran, right? Like, and, and these kind of places. Also, uh, same with Palestine, right? Um, and, and, and Syria, some of these places that you, the, the pictures that are painted over here are unfair, Right. I mean, yeah. sure, maybe maybe there is a, some slice of truth to it. Like all stereotypes come from something. It's not like they're picked out of thin air, but that's mm. not it's not the blanket uh, existence or, or what's happening. And I would also imagine that you have also experienced uh, that you've also experienced some of that in in reverse when people find out. Oh, wait yeah. For that. yeah. When people find out that you are, uh, you know, from the United States. The U.S. is going through a couple of things, right? And there's some really Big important time. things that are happening, right? And I would assume, like with the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and, mm. and and things like that, like uh, and just and just in general, all the mass shootings and stuff. Uh, what what have you heard about the United States that you have learned about the what the international perspective of it of us is, and and like how has that experience been? Well, I think the perfect example of the of the original question that you had is um, I was in Russia for the uh, Winter Olympics. Um, mm. The way that it was promoted in America was that it was a terrible Olympics. Uh, there was empty arenas. I, I saw a couple things uh, about this. And the way that it was promoted in Europe and especially in Russia was that it was a big success. It was a couple hours away from where I was. And everything that I heard about it was that it was amazing that uh, – the facilities were great and everything was fine and the U.S. was hearing different things. Um, so that's on one side. And the other side, what really tripped me out, I forget when it was, it was a couple years ago, um, where I grew up and then you'd hear some stuff about a different country and there'd be like a travel ban or there'd be an advisory warning or something like that. You know, don't travel to Egypt right now or don't travel to Mexico right now or whatever that might be. There started to become these travel warnings for America. And some mm. friends of mine overseas were asking me about that. And a lot of things were getting harder and harder for me to justify. I tried, I tried to explain certain things about America and we're a big country and, you know, Texas, California, and New York are like two different, you know, three different countries. You know, it's not, you know, we're the United States. And at the same time, there's very different people. There's different cultures. There's different accents. There's different styles of living. Um, it's very difficult to continue to justify other things that are happening. Um, and I'm not going to get too political, but like you, the, some of the things that you talked about. And so, um, and the way that it's broadcast over there is I think a lot of countries are like, look, we're doing well, look at what's happening in other countries. They have mm -hmm. these problems and they're promoting their own country and say, Hey, we're doing pretty good. And, you know, we don't have, you know, as many problems. And so the way that everybody looked at the presidency, you know, the election and what's going on, they're just like, wow, look at these two different worlds, the way that the Black Lives Matters, they're looking at these different things. They're like looking at the, with the police, uh, with a lot of things that are happening right now. So some things are hard to justify. And then a lot of times I'm just like, hey man, it's nice being in this country or this country or this country, because a lot of the media and a lot of the news is very negative and fear-based. Um, and so it's nice to take a step back and, and to not be engulfed in that every single day. And at the same time, it's not ignorance and not knowing that it's happening because there's a lot of major things happening. But at the same time, it's good that we're talking about it. It's good that it's happening because it's at a boiling point where we need to talk about it. It needs to be on the forefront of our minds and our conversations and our politics. And, and so 
hopefully positive change is coming. That's part of the message, part of my book and part of understanding that different truths that people have around the world. And at the end of the day, we all need to love each other in a better way. We need to understand each other in a better way. And people have difference in opinion is not life threatening. You know, it's a way to learn about one another and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There, there's no one hard and fast way to do this. Right. There's a, there's a small town in Italy where people routinely live over a hundred years old. There's a small town yeah. in Japan where people routinely live to be over a hundred years old. There's a small town, right? Like, and, and the only thing that connects all of those people is that they're surrounded by people they love in community, right? Like that, that's the big connection The people living very long, happy lives. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and like you said, there's uh, no matter what's going on in China, there's uh, however many people are born a day and they're figuring it out. And right. Because <laughs> people are, have lived, right. It's not like we figured out the only way. Yeah. And, and that, that kind of patriotism is there's something to said to have pride for your country, but when your pride gets in the way of how you uh, potentially perceive and therefore judge others, now we got an issue uh, because just like what you said, like I, whenever I travel internationally, there's always a piece of shame that comes over to me because a, this person in front of me is a polyglot and they know seven different languages. And I'm over <laughs> here like, I barely know English, right? Like, and, and so, and, and, and so like they've, they know this, they've been to however many countries and however many cultures, right? And they, uh, they, sometimes they know more about the U.S. government than I do. And it's, just, it's, like, it's really fascinating. And it's this moment also, because then you now need to, there's moments where you explain. Like, I remember, uh, I forget why I was in Iceland and uh, I was in Iceland and I happened to be, my winter hat I got as a gift uh, from a school that I spoke to in Canada. And so it's a Canadian Olympics winter hat, uh, Olympic team winter hat. And like, oh, you're from Canada. And I was like, this is so nice. No <laughs> one has anything to say about Canada. And, and, and it was just, it was this fascinating moment. And so uh, I love, I love what you said, where it's about learning different cultures. It's about listening. It's about showing up, not just assuming uh, and, and being a part of the conversations with your ears open and your assumptions down or as much as you can. So yeah, that was beautiful. It's, yeah, it's it's about and, and and that's part of the book too. It's, it's and I was trying to write a letter to my daughter Joy about trying to take the best of my experiences. Mm -hmm. All I do is take the best of each culture, the best of who we are, and then you know lift each other up as opposed to point out all the weaknesses and saying we're better because they do this and we do that and they do this. Right. And there's not a lot of talk about us and we and you know the future and building and community and that kind of stuff. So. I think what you're doing is amazing. I think that, you know, the positive movement is amazing. And, you know, we're just doing as much as we can to help. That's it, baby. That's it, baby. We out here. Listen, Taylor, I got a section on the show and a little segment on the show. I'm wondering if you're willing to participate. I'll tell you about it. Then you can let me know if you're in or not, because this is the first time you're hearing about it. Um, but uh, I have a segment on the show called uh, Things That You Didn't Know About Me But Are Now Pretty Glad That You Did um, or Do. Anyway, here's what you need to know about the segment, Taylor, um, is that uh, first off, uh, the name changes every time. Um, <laughs> but the second thing you need to know is that the premise stays the same. And so what you and I will do uh, is you and I are going to share a few random facts about ourselves, probably two. And these random facts could be, uh, it's not necessarily that you're, you're, you know, we know that your, your uh, firstborn was born in China and China. It's kind of like random, maybe an embarrassing story or a random quirk about yourself. Something that maybe you didn't anticipate, nothing that's in the book, right? Like something that's kind of mm. just super random about yourself. Um, I'll share some 
some, you'll share some, and uh, and I, and I can get it kicked off if you're down to do this with me. Are you in? No. Great. All right. <laughs> Next question. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> absolutely, man. Absolutely. Let's kick it off. I mean, if I can All find right. out some random weird things about you, I'm, it's worth it. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, so we were talking about traveling internationally and whenever you travel internationally, there are often foods that other countries eat that sometimes you don't like. And that's, that's unfortunate. Um, it just kind of is what it is. We all have taste buds or taste buds like mm. different things. And so I know for me, I had a lot of shame in Germany because I hate mustard. Uh, and, and I just can't, like I, the condiment mustard, it's by far the lowest in the totem pole in the condiment section, in my opinion. Uh, and so I'm just not, I'm not here for it. Right. Like at McDonald's, I'm saying no mustard on there. And, uh, and so, yeah. And so anyway, so I don't like mustard and in Italy and in Greece, um, I don't like olives and olives find their way into so many things. And that makes me a terrible Italian, uh, also because I don't like olives. Uh, I also, uh, I don't love, um, like a lot of, I guess, traditional Italian, uh, desserts, right. Mm. Um, like eclairs or, uh, Napolitinas or, or like all these different <laughs> things. And so my, even like cheesecake, right. And my family's like, what did we do? How did we mess this up so badly that you don't want a cannoli right now? And anyway, so I just have a little bit of shame about that. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna own it with you, my brother. Uh, so there you go. Perfect. Well, well, if you ever want to hear a record skip, you marry a French woman and in the middle of a dinner with a bunch of French people, you say, no, I don't really like cheese that much. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so they're just like, eh. and they just, look, they just look at my wife like, yeah, this is probably not going to work out. We're good. We're happy to meet him. And I mean, he can finish the meal, but like, you know, he can send him on his way. So I'm not a huge cheese person. And so that, that was a little bit tough. All and then they, they started going in. So it's the French roots, the foie gras, it's the all these other little things. Anything that has the the taste of chicken after I've already chewed the chicken, I'm not really I'm not really into that. The texture that, that texture. So I was just like, yeah, the cheese is not really for me. And so I'd get like um like a president brie cheese, you know, just like a really cookie cutter brie cheese that you can get at any grocery store. And the family is looking at me and I put it on these, they're called toques. They're like kid crackers with a uh -huh. bunch of, you know, additives and sugars and whatever it might be to make the cracker taste good. I'm sitting there with a rack of toque crackers and some <laughs> brie cheese that is just like really inauthentic. And I'm just <laughs> cutting it up and eating it and looking right at them. And they're just like disgusted with me. And then like <laughs> unwrapping these beautiful cheeses and trying different wines and different champagnes with the different styles of cheeses and meats and fish. And I'm just sitting there loving my life and, you know, wondering what bad dessert I'm going to eat next, like M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. With the shit eating grin on your face, I'm sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, since, uh, since you love yourself some basketball, my guy, I'll share, I'll share a random basketball fact about myself. Um, I hold uh, the unofficial record for the most offensive rebounds off of your own missed shots. Uh, and <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> 
my my roommate in college, Brian, was like he was he was someone who could have walked on in college if he wanted to. He got in his own head, got in his own way, chose not to. That's fine. Um, but like he could dunk from the free throw line. Literally, I saw videos of it. Um, and uh, and, and so he's, he's super talented, but just chose not to go down that path. That's fine. Um, but uh, he had some good reasons too. Um, and the uh, and so like, but we would go and play ball in the gym, and like you know. I, I played recreationally for a long time. Like I said, basketball is one of my favorite sports. And, uh, and so, but like, you know, if you haven't played in a while, the finesse is gone, right? The touch is gone. And (laughs) especially like, you know, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a bigger dude, right? Not big compared to some of the people that you play with, but you know, six, four, uh, I can throw my weight around and, uh, know how to rebound a ball. And, uh, and so, um, and, and so I would, I would get in there and like get fed something down in the paint, I'd back somebody up and go for a layup. I'd miss it. And I just like, I would get like my own rebound, like four times before I finally would put it back. And that's a really embarrassing story about me that I'm not proud of, but I knew would make you amused. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen a long came Polly, but I'm picturing you saying rain dance, rain, rain drops, <laughs> buckets. <laughs> so I, I think uh, embarrassing in a couple ways, but I played in the NCAA tournament uh, two years in college. Um, in the first round of the tournament, I forget which year it was, um, but I got the record for most assists in like that round of the tournament. And so when I found that out after the game, I was super excited. I came in the locker room and hey, I just got the record for most assists. We have a team that's all about team, not individual. So first, yeah. everybody's looking at me like, hey, man, that's great. We're really happy that you're all about yourself. <laughs> and oh, the, second, no. <laughs> the second thing is the next day, somebody walked up and they're like, yeah, somebody beat your record like two hours after you got it. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> yeah, all right, man, I held that record for a long time. No records are being oh, broken, but just give me a year to talk about how I was in the NCAA tournament last year. I got this record. And just like two hours later, you know, somebody played in the game, you know, whatever, and they got one more assist than me. So it was just like, never heard of you, Taylor. Thanks a lot. And uh, thanks for telling everybody how much you care about your own accolade. So we, we love you too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. Where'd you play college ball? I started, I mean, and I started at Tulane University, um, okay. had a really fun freshman year, great freshman year. And the second year of my, the second day of my sophomore year was Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Mm. So they moved our team to be hosted, still playing for Tulane, but I was hosted at Texas A&M University in Texas. And okay. so, so the Tulane Colors, and they hosted a couple of our teams. Right before the first game, I tore my knee and I was out for the season. And so after the first semester, we were going to go back to New Orleans, but there was no facilities. No, last stuff was gone. And I was scared about being able to rehab my knee, talk to them about the facilities and what was going to happen. I decided I need to transfer. So started at Tulane, played a little bit at Texas A&M for Tulane, and then transferred to Washington State. And so I spent all my years basically at Washington State, in the state of Washington, um, yep. Pullman, Washington, and Pullman. just had the, mo- the most fun career of all time. I mean, you've been there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And not much out there to do besides play basketball. Um, <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it's truly a beautiful part of the country uh, for sure. Uh, and that's awesome, man. Yeah. I uh, have been out to Washington state. Uh, great town. <clears throat> so that's uh, that's amazing, man. That's, I love that. So, so here's where, here's where I want to kind of, I want to bring us, uh, start to wrap this up, but here's my first question for you. And then I want to talk about the book in relation to this question. I don't know why I'm mapping it out for you right now. You don't have a choice about what I'm going to do. Here's how you're going to answer this question. In case you're wondering what's about to happen. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, And so, (laughs) so here, here it is. 
you are super positive. Um, and, and you are someone like we mentioned who has a lot of optimism. You see the mm. glass half full. Uh, you look at the, uh, the journey more than the results. You care about the goals, not the expectations. Right. And that's beautiful. Um, to bring a little, a slice of reality um, to this because there's individuals who aren't there yet. Right. Yeah. And it's not, you can't just flip your, uh, snap your fingers and get there. I'm For wondering sure. where are some places where you still get in your own way? Where are some places where like, Oh, I have doubts about this or I'm insecure about that. And you know, I'm sorry to make you go deep, but I'm also fascinated. Right. Cause whenever I hang out with in- incredible optimists, I'm always kind of like, where's your, where's the thing though? Is, is there a thing? Is there anything that's like, you know, I beat myself up about this sometimes when behind closed doors, do you have something like that? I think the the toughest thing for me, I don't know how directly it answers the question as far as like not being a little bit off, but the hardest thing for me is to try to navigate through being perfectly authentic, being kind, saying what you want to say, but at the same time, respecting other people's boundaries, respecting other people's stuff. Because sometimes people need to hear, hey, you need to wake up. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for, for empathy. I'm not here for this, but at the same time, you can come across as being a total ass, you know, you yeah. can come across as being a guy that doesn't care not being sympathetic, not being empathetic. I think a lot of times it's where you step in, where you don't step in. So sometimes uh, it's easy to get lost and lose some of who you are because you bite your tongue. And yeah. I, and I talk about if you bite your tongue enough times, you're, you know, you're going to bite it off altogether and you're not going to be able to talk. And so I think it's that authenticity. It's like, okay, now it's not just about me. I can't be selfish all the time. I have a wife. Uh, now I have two kids. I'm thinking about three other people before I think about myself. So where does my authenticity come in? Where does it not come in? Am I missing out on something? Am I losing a part of myself? I guess yeah. that's the only small struggle that I think I have. But I have an idea that if you're constantly looking for things to be thankful for, you're living in endless thankfulness that you're not really focusing on those things. So even if I feel like I lost myself in a moment, you can always bring it back. And I'm thankful that I can have authentic thoughts. I'm thankful that I do have my own mind. I live in a a time where I can speak my truth. I live in a, you know, I'm with an amazing woman that accepts me for who I am. So I think once you build that comfort zone around you, you can be more authentic, but there is that, uh, that fine line of trying to figure out, um, how to kind of totally impose who I am. And at the same time, have it fit in with, with the world. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you on that. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, so sometimes I come out with it a little quicker than most people would want me to, but, (laughs) but still, but still, I think there, there is that moment of, now, what's the right thing to say to this individual? Is this a battle I want to pick? Yeah. And what is authentic to me right now? Like, what do, uh, what are my opinions about what should happen right now? Like, for example, like there's times where even just like little things of like, you know, what movie do you want to watch? And it's like, well, you pick your favorite movie, even though I know damn well, which movie I would really like to watch. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like, where do you want to go to eat? What do you want to have? Right. Like, question. That's, that's yeah. the dinner question. And, and- and you both end up going to a place that you didn't want to go to. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. I think I think that the other big thing I struggle with too is is a lot of people struggle with decision making. I'm married to a Libra. She's awful at decision making. And so when it comes to decision making, the small ones I'm fine with. The the big ones, it's tough because my decision is which country are we gonna go live in for the next 10 months? And so <laughs> yeah. that plays a huge role now because we have two kids. Before it was just like that 
sounds like a fun contract. Let's rock and roll. And so now I have, a, I have the ability to maybe stay home here, start speaking, start dealing with this book and just be surrounded by this positivity because it's this message. I'm going to be speaking it all the time. Or I could just uproot us and move us again to a new country and probably go to China in September. And now we have to put our kids hopefully in a new school. People around us don't speak English. We don't have a friend and family. And so that is a battle that I, I continue to play with. And if I was single, I would have one way to do it. If I'm married, I'd have a second way to do it. If I'm married with kids, I have another way to do it. So it's yeah. just like trying to find that balance of like, which path is our path, you know, and I have my own positive spin on that, but at the same time, it's difficult. Yeah, it is difficult. It's also difficult when the person that you are working with, whether it's a, you know, whether it's your wife, whether it's a kid, whether it's a friend, whether it's a, you know, a, an acquaintance, a stranger or something like that. It's tough when they don't have the same outlook as you, right? Sometimes when you come out pissing optimism, some people get really turned off pretty quickly, right? You're coming out here with uh, everything, you got unicorns and rainbows popping out everywhere. And not everybody's ready for that because there is something to be said for feeling what you're feeling in the moment, right? And letting yourself feel like you don't always have to immediately rewrite something mm -hmm. bad that happened to find a silver lining. Sometimes there is value in sitting in it because that's where lessons are learned and that's where yeah. grit is formed. And so there's nothing wrong with taking a beat, but it's the individuals that stay there that stay yeah. there for way too long, right? For them, themselves around them, their people. Um, and so, uh, so optimism, uh, optimism is a really beautiful thing. Um, and I think it is a tool that we can use uh, and it is valuable. And, and so I, I love your spirit, brother. I mean, li listening to you talk makes the world lighter and it's yeah. really refreshing and it's awesome. And so you wrote this book, uh, a new 2020 vision. Can you tell us a little bit about it, man? And and why did you write it? And why do I need to read it? Well, I didn't I didn't know this quote until a lot later on after I published it. But uh, the internet says it's either Roy T. Bennett or it's anonymous. Not really sure, but it says, <laughs> "Be the light. Be the light that helps others see." Mm -hmm. And what you were just saying is sometimes people need to sit in it, and I'm great with that. And I think feelings are meant to be felt. But I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be the light to help you see that positive side. So when you're ready. And it's for you because it's your path and your journey. When you're ready, then I can be that light for you and I can surround you with, with that positivity. And so when people are feeling that, it's important they have good people around them that lift them up when they're ready. So sometimes they need a day, sometimes they need a month, sometimes they need a year, whatever it is, hopefully a shorter time. But if they're surrounded by people that are that light to help them see that when they're ready, when they have that motivation to turn the corner um, and they are, they're inspired to do so, they have people to help lift them up. So I think that's... That's kind of first thing. The book started off as a letter to my daughter. Um, I want, I think I mentioned earlier, I wanted to encompass all the things that I've learned from my journey and be able to share that with her. I, I thought of myself as like the old man in a relay race and she's next. And I wanted to be able to hand her the baton in a, in, in a place where she can be successful, where she's in the lead. And she feels like, you know, she doesn't have to struggle to catch up to anything. And so, um, it's this beautiful idea that we can pass off something to them to help them. And I have this idea now of generational happiness. And so my, my dad spent a lot of years uh, uh, doing financial consulting and he talked about financial freedom and, and financial uh, generational wealth and things like that. And so I was like generational wealth, wealth that you can pass down, generational happiness. There are things that we can pass down to our kids 
and it's their own journey and they can pick it up if they pick it up and if they don't they don't but there are things that help us things that we've learned over the years and maybe we can inspire positivity in them maybe there are daily applications that they can use to try to help them and so with this book and why you should read it is one it's very inspirational in so many different ways. And I think that every single person that reads this book can find at least a word or a sentence that kind of touches them or matches them. But it inspires that, I call it inspire inspiration. It inspires inspiration in you. And then it actually gives you ways that you can reprogram your mind. This is the way I used to think about it. This is the way I can think about it. And then you shape that to yourself personally. And then it goes even further and it talks about daily applications to apply to your life. And so these are applications that I have, and it's not how I'm gonna apply them to my life. You take those applications and you're like, okay, well that fits into my life this way or that way. And at worst, you're gonna help reshift your mind and find more optimism, find more positivity. It talks about positive filtering versus guest filtering. And we're all guest filtering the world. And then in this grind where we're trying to figure out what everybody's talking about, what, what every message means, what, what's, what's happening with this information? Who's this person? Are they being mean? Are they not being mean? What's this mess? I mean, why is there two exclamation points in this text message? Why did I not get a text message? And that that rainbow type of person that positive filter glass half full everybody thinks that's the naive person but it's the the person that's not positively filtering everything and my eyes that's a little bit more naive because then they have to decipher the uncrackable code of understanding every single person in the world understanding the history of the entire world and knowing up to second information on everything that's happening around them so they can interpret the world perfectly and not have any miscommunication, not have any misunderstanding. And people have lost love. People have broken relationships because of misunderstandings or a text or a call or a, a you know, a miscommunication. And that just, that can all be taken away. Not all of it, but a lot of these frustrations can be taken away when we start positively filtering the world. And Sometimes we just need that inspiration and we need to learn how to reprogram the mind. So that's what the book talks about. That's what the book helps with. Let's go, my man. Let's go. Uh, I love that, dude. Uh, I love that. The generational happiness is a phrase that is going to stick with me. And that's a oh. just a super cool idea. And uh, I'm stoked for you, man. Congratulations on the success that the book has already had and will continue to have and, and on your success, brother. Hope you're enjoying this time being back in California getting some banging tacos, staring out at the whales off the coast of Santa Barbara. You're really living a struggle bus right now, and I feel bad for you. Um, get some tri-tip, my guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so special, Taylor. I can't thank you enough for coming through, man. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great, man. And before I leave, I'm going to give you a shout-out because I because I have to because you paid me enough money to give you this shout-out. Oh, yes, excellent. Yeah, yeah, my cameo. <laughs> but, um, you know, well, that's one of the best things about writing this book. And one way you can surround yourself with positivity. I started reaching out to different people and you're one of the people that I, that I started reaching out to that I started following on social media, your inspiration, what you're talking about, people like you and what you're doing is why this all makes sense and why this is all so easy for me and why this is all so happy for me because basketball has been my passion forever. And I have just as much fun doing this because I've started surrounding myself with people like you and getting involved with that and this this positivity train is a way to change your life it's a way to find purpose and passion every single day this optimism in each day and so i just thank you i've been looking forward to this as soon as i got your message that you wanted to do this i was just stoked i remember talking to you about this on on my social media 
And uh, now I get to be a part of it. And so this is just part of the excitement of life and looking forward to things and anticipating. So I'm just thankful to be here. Yeah, brother. Thank you, man. That means a lot, dude. That means a lot. And uh, however, however you found me, I am grateful that we are connected. And uh, whether we meet up on the road or somewhere in the States, man, I'm looking forward to giving you a hug in real life one day and, and spending some time with your family. No mask. No mask. No mask. No mask. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> getting my second shot next week. I can't wait. I'm hugging everybody after I get hey, my second my, shot. Mine's in, mine's in an hour and 45 minutes. So uh, Let's I'm go. Excited. Let's go. I'm Keep excited. that arm in motion afterwards. Uh, <laughs> uh, Taylor, I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you so much for coming through and hanging out with me in the diner. You be good, my brother. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. My friends, that was Taylor Rochester, my guy over here, professional basketball player, lived in 11 countries, casual, one, one kid born in China, another kid born in France in the middle of pandemic. My friends, some of us think we live boring lives, and then we miss Taylor, and we realize, eh, that guy lives a boring life. Uh, but <laughs> he's just such a great man, uh, and I know sometimes that much optimism is hard to hear, my friends, but... That's in our brains. It is in our brains sometimes that constantly being surrounded by positive messages and silver linings, we have been taught to look for the negative. Small talk is painful because small talk is often something that is negative, right? Like, oh, God, this elevator is so slow. Why is it so hot? Oh, it's cold in here. The professor's annoying, right? Like we start small talk from negative places. What if we started small talk from places with joy, my friends, you know that I am on a mission to end small talk. And sometimes if we start places from places with joy, we build connections faster because I'd rather meet somebody who loves the same stuff that I do than someone who hates the same stuff that I do, my friends. So until next time, when we kick it in the diner again, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions and sharing a little joy. Y'all take care. Stay great. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.